Hail Dictinus! Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. When you enter a grove peopled with ancient trees, higher than the ordinary, and shutting out the sky with their thickly intertwined branches, do not the stately shadows of the wood, the stillness of the place, and the awful gloom of this doomed cavern then strike you with the presence of a deity. Welcome to Deep Dive 11, the 245th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Seneca the Elder. Our opening and closing music is credited as Frostwaltz Alternate by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode. Mary Meet, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. Did you forget your name? For Just for a hot minute, I wasn't sure if 4.0 was right. For a minute, I was like, wait, is it 4.0 or is it 2.0? I don't know why I had that thought because it's never been 2.0. Got distracted. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but back to yes. what, we Focus. Were, what we're supposed to be talking about, focusing. I loved that uh, that quote from Seneca. Yes. I thought Seneca, that was the one. wise. Seneca the elder. Mm. All right. Uh, so housekeeping? First of all. I want to make the announcement yes. that I have officially posted a article to my blog on Patheos Pagan. Yay! Now, it's not huge. It's not majorly... I keep telling her to stop disparaging her writing. It's fine. It's a blog post. <laughs> it's a kitchen witchy kind of post. <laughs> so, please go and read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly... About the... fucking time, says Finn. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Finn? The, the thing is, you know... I, I did not realize how much I missed writing until yeah. I actually sat down and did it. It's one of those things. And I sat there and it just kind of flowed. I was a little concerned I wouldn't be able to come up with anything. Uh-huh. And I sat down and it just worked and I really enjoyed it. And I was very happy with what I wrote. And it's time. It's time to get back into that part of my life again. So I hope you read it. I hope you enjoy it. And I will be posting another blog before the end of September. <laughs> and then, of course, we also want to talk about the fact that uh, in February, there is going to be the convocation. Uh, convocation and um, you want to go check out convocation.org for more information. As time goes by, we'll have more information to give you. And and then I wanted to bring up one thing very briefly because we are um, August, September is uh, when many, many pagans are enjoying pagan pride months mm-hmm. and festivals and, and days and things like that. It's and our time. It's our time the to prelude have our... to spooky season. That's right. That's right. And in fact, Grand Rapids is going to be having their pagan pride this weekend mm. on the sixteenth. So if you're in the Grand Rapids area, we've been to that one uh, yes. once or twice. It's pretty good. It's it's a wonderful time. I can't remember exactly which park it is. No, but, but it's you... in one of the parks. Yeah, at Riverside Park, I think. I think maybe. so. Maybe sounds right. Anyway, check online. <laughs> check online. Google. You know, Grand Rapids pagan pride. It's been there for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful time. But the reason I wanted to bring that up beside the fact that if you have a pagan pride in your area and you can go, go then visit. go visit. Have, have a fun time. Exactly. Meet Spend some, too much money. <laughs> exactly. Meet some pagans, get some, you know, support some pagan artisans, hear some speakers and go to some classes if they're offering them and that kind of thing. Because it's a lot of fun if mm-hmm. you get a chance to do it. But one of the things that um, was posted about a month ago in the three pack Facebook group was that there was a group in, where was it? It was in Cleveland for the Cleveland Pagan Pride Festival in August. There was this group of Christians that went in or planned to go in under the radar by posing as people who were going to be giving supernatural hugs. And they would tell people that they were going to hug them for a couple of minutes and see what kind of messages they got. 
And then um, they gave them messages and all this kind of stuff. But never once did they tell them they were Christians. They just talked about the supernatural, told them that they teach classes on the supernatural and got names and addresses. This is such a weird it is. It's very, it, attempt and, to infiltrate. <laughs> yeah. And they and that is exactly what they, they were trying to do. They were trying to infiltrate without getting kicked out. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be able to go and minister to the witches and the pagans. They're like, oh, these are just good people who are getting drawn to the wrong side. You know, you know, be aware that that is a tactic that this particular group was using in, in Cleveland, and it may be something that other evangelicals decide to pick up. So just don't give people your name and address yeah. and shit. Like, it doesn't sound like they're doing anything bad. No, no. But they're going in dishonestly, I think. Yeah, is but the I, I at have the same time, I just don't care. Like, if I'm not going to give them my name and information. Don't give out your name and information yeah. to people you don't know and trust. But yeah. like, yeah, fucking, I think that's whatever. Who cares? I think that's the biggest thing. Because, you know, a lot of those places, pride events or any kind of public event where people from businesses, they'll get your name. They'll get your yeah, they'll put you email, mail put you on a mailing yeah. list. And that just, yeah, just be, you know, mindful of who you're giving your info to. Yeah. That's the only part I would care about, I guess, is if you don't want to get on a mailing list. Yeah. But otherwise, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me because it's not like they're going and planning to like do anything nefarious mm-hmm. so so anyway i just wanted to bring that up to people oh i did want to say that both ode and i are uh doing tarot readings yes. online um we Which you are... can find on the website uh three pagans at a cat.com you can find uh more information about my tarot uh offerings at uh gwyn of three pagans at a cat on facebook my facebook page but the most important thing to remember because you know i'm on social media all these different things, is I will never contact you. Oh, yeah. God, it's been a minute since I thought about yes. those. Neil, Gwen has a bunch of imposters. <laughs> yeah. So we will never contact you for a reading. No. And Neil. I'm also not even on the yeah. vast majority of social media. So if you get a message from me, mm-hmm. it's not from me. Right. So if you are interested in a reading from either Ode or myself, Ode at threepagansandacat.com mm-hmm. or Gwen at threepagansandacat.com. Send us uh, your info. Just send us an email. You know, an email. Let us know what you're interested in. So, yep. There you go. We are house kept and house swept. <laughs> so since I've started the last couple, I want you to start this time. That's all right, because you have graciously started, because mm-hmm. you used to make me always yes. do it. So now it's your turn again. So it's on my turn again. Okay. Well, I decided to go with the Hittite deities. Ooh. Yes, I thought it was kind of fun. The first one I'm going to talk about this evening is Inara the Hittite goddess of the wild animals. And she uh, corresponds with basically Artemis in the mm. Greek, in Greek culture, that same kind of goddess of the hunt, okay. goddess of animals kind of thing. And she is the daughter of the storm god Tarhuna. And Tarhuna is, well, he's a weather god, storm god. He is the consort of the sun goddess Arena, who I will also talk about. Basically, as the weather god Tarhuna was, um, you know, especially in charge of, like, thunder and lightning and rain and clouds and storms and things like that. Weather things. Weather things. And so he also decided whether crops would be, fer- you know, fields would be fertile or... Because uh, rain. Because rain like and if, whether they'd have good harvests and stuff. So because of that, he was actually treated by the Hittites as uh, the ruler of the gods. So he was their Zeus, oh, essentially. Okay. Inara was one of his children. He had several. And there was this really interesting myth that came along with her that I that I read that I thought okay it's very short we love a myth there was a dragon in the land of the Hittites 
in in there always <laughs> in the you know in the on the earth right known as Ilyanka was a threat to creation okay like, so, like a dragon often is. Like a dragon is. And was the arch enemy of Inara's father, Tarhuna. Okay. Well, one day, they got into it. They got into a fight, you know, him with his lightning bolts and, tar, you know, the, the dragon with its... Dragon whatever, things. Dragon <laughs> things, whatever its powers were. And Tarhuna lost. Uh-oh. Tarhuna lost the fight. Well, that's not very auspicious for the king of the no. gods. Oh, no, it's really not. Well, truth be told, he was really the consort of the sun goddess. So. Oh. <laughs> still. Still. Being the winner, this dragon, right. Ilyanka, impressed upon Inara that it needed for her to create a feast in its honor. Mm-hmm. And so she did. She created this beautiful feast. She got a human to assist her who she, and his name was Hupasayas. And uh, she did this by basically becoming, you know, his lover. Hmm. Um, but got him to assist her in getting this whole feast together. And in fact, it eventually became a festival called Peruli. During this festival, she had lots of great food and lots of drink. And of course, the dragon and all its family and its clan came and they ate and they ate and they drank and they drank until they became so drunk that the human, Hupasayas, could tie a rope around them and then Tarhuna could come along and slay the dragon. Wow. <laughs> and that is how creation was saved from the dragon Ilyuanka by Inara's father, Tarhuna, because she made it possible for him to do so. With the assistance of a human. Yes. <laughs> that was um that was a team effort, that yes, dragon. It was. Yes, it had was. to get everyone involved in that one. Yep. Shit. Yep. Yep. Elle exactly. says embarrassing for the dragon and the king of the gods. Uh, right. Yeah. Like right? that was just embarrassing all around. Mm-hmm. Shit. <laughs> yes. It was kind of hilarious. I was like, really? It was because of Inara, because she got them all fucking drunk uh-huh. that her father was able to kill this dragon. After like, her lover, after her tied lover. them up. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Wow. Oh, and then what happened with her husband? Well, her lover, this this the same hoopsie. Yeah, yeah, hoopsias. Okay. She left one day with instructions okay. that he was not to leave the house that she built for them on a cliff. Well, here's some Bluebeard's wife shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was supposed to say, she had to go off and do goddess uh-huh. things, probably in the forest with the animals. Right, yeah. And so he was to stay there and wait for her. Uh-huh. Well, he was standing by the window looking out to see if he might see his family because he kind of missed his family. Right, because he's been kidnapped by this goddess. <laughs> yeah. And, and he looked and uh, he saw his family and it, it made him so sad that he couldn't get to them that he begged to be allowed to return home. And for whatever reason, she didn't like that he was apparently unhappy. That he missed his, his, he family? Missed his family. And so she killed him for disobeying her by looking out the window and looking leave. for his family. He didn't even actually leave the house. No, he looked at his family, though, and he wanted to leave. He dreamed of leaving He dreamed house. of leaving. And oh, so... Shit. It was Inara. <laughs> I know she was a she was a rough bitch, man. Damn. Yeah. That's that's damn. <laughs> so I anyway, I just thought it was 
She was like a very, very interesting goddess. Elle says, Inara does not pass the Beauty and the Beast test. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, she does not. She does not. She does not pass the Beauty and the Beast Mans test. Mans did not even leave the house, actually. Nope. Just looked she... out the window and he... felt homesick. He was not allowed to leave. He was not allowed to look out the window. He was not allowed to do shit. He was supposed to be a house husband. And apparently... He was supposed to be a boy toy is what he was supposed to be. Yeah, he was supposed to be a boy toy. And he looked out the window by, and disobeyed her and was longing for his family. So pff, that was it. Poor hoops or whatever. Yeah. Hoopsias. Hoopsias. Poor Hoopsias. He yeah. deserved better. After helping her kill this yeah, dragon shit. and everything... He was instrumental in was. the death of a dragon that threatened creation. Right? I I, I feel like it was... And all know. this man wanted was to go see his family again. No. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting that that she's like this this goddess of, of the animals, but she's like really... She's kind of... Fun, yeah. Interestingly, no animals or hunting involved in either no. of those stories. No. <laughs> But and just and murder, she, just two just, different just murders, two different kinds of murder. She's rough. She's rough. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm a fan. <laughs> anyway, I just I, I think the Hittites can keep Inara. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Well, that may be why there are no more Hittites. <laughs> Inara just killed them all. <laughs> just killed them off. Anyway, so I thought I thought she was interesting. Elle says, "Good with animals, not so much with people." Apparently. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, maybe she wanted him to be like a pet. Oh, could be. And he just wasn't behaving enough like, a, like that, an animal. Maybe it's that whole thing. Because, you know, like Artemis was a virgin goddess. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. No, I, because you said well, he, she, she was, seduced yeah, him. She so seduced him. So it she can't clearly, be that. She clearly wasn't a virgin goddess. Yeah. So. She's mean. She's mean. <laughs> Jealous, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. They don't. And the thing is, according to what I was reading, is they don't really know why. Why she did this? Why no? This is, huh? They 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 don't know. So There's... they just have this myth and not like where it fits into yeah. the sort of larger story. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Very odd. <laughs> very very odd. So there you go. Mean Hittite behavior. Yeah. Right. Hittites, man, their gods were they were the rough. original mean girl. The original. She was the original mean girl. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. All right. I have a deity who has a very similar name to Inara. I'm going to talk about Inari Okami, okay. who is a Shinto deity. Ooh. Not really a, like a rare or a niche deity. I know I usually go with the, with the ones you've never heard of before, but Inari is actually a very famous and popular uh, god in Japan, but I just wanted to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So uh, Inari is associated with a whole bunch of things, including foxes is the biggest one. Um, but also fertility, rice, tea, sake, agriculture and industry, prosperity and worldly success. In like the 16th century, was considered a patron of swordsmiths, merchants. Has also been considered a patron of actors and prostitutes because the Inari shrines tend to be in those sort of areas of the city. Is sometimes called the desire-fulfilling Inari and has a wish-granting jewel. Mm. Inari has a really like like wide base of powers or areas of interest Mm -hmm. um, and is usually described as being personalized. There's a lot of academic discussion of the personalization of Inari. It seems like every shrine or every individual person who worships Inari has like a like a very specific vision of who Inari is and it differs from everyone else's vision. Like a hundred Inari worshippers will all worship a hundred different versions of Inari. But they'll all consider their Inari equal to everyone else's Inari. Interesting. Yeah. 
So uh, Inari is described as being the closest deity to humans in Buddhism because Inari is technically a Shinto deity originally, but has been like really syncretized with Buddhism, as has a lot of Shinto religion in Japan. So, so there are like different ranks of gods and Inari is at the 10th rank, which is the rank closest to humans. There is a priest who was talking about Inari to a, a researcher once who described Inari is like your own mother. Okay. <laughs> so like Inari, like Inari is so close to you that Inari is almost a family member. Okay. Like it, it's, it's worship of Inari is almost as personalized as the worship of ancestors. Okay. So it has highly malleable spheres of influence. Inari also has malleable gender. Nice. So um, originally, Inari Okami was conceived of as a female deity, usually presented as a young female food goddess. Mm -hmm. When there was the rise of Buddhism in Japan, Buddhism was highly patriarchal. And so a lot of important female deities in Shintoism were translated to being male deities under Buddhism. So then Inari gained a male aspect. It was, you were supposed to treat Inari as male at that point in the history of Inari. And at that point, Inari was usually conceived of as an old man carrying rice. Interesting. Like local populations, there were still a lot of people who thought of Inari as female. Some people thought maybe Inari just changes genders whenever they feel like it. Why not? <laughs> right? They were saying like, well, really Inari is a fox, so. <laughs> Inari is whatever gender Inari feels like being. So even today, there's just a lot of ambiguity about the gender of Inari. And usually it's accepted that Inari is whatever gender you feel like ascribing to Inari at the time. Nice. Um, so you'll see like a random assortment of pronouns thrown out for Inari. There's also a lot of uncertainty about where and when the worship of Inari originates. So it seems like... In the original Japanese mythology, Inari doesn't exist. Like the creation stories, the the bulk of the ancient Japanese mythology, Inari doesn't feature. So it seems like maybe Inari was a folk figure that was deified at some point okay. just because they were very popular. And this is probably also something that contributes to the personalization of Inari because Inari was probably worshipped in a lot of different places very regionally mm -hmm. and then just sort of conglomerated together over time into a single Inari figure. But even today, Inari isn't always one being. Hmm. So there are sometimes three or five deities all worshipped as Inari Okami as a group. Um, and those will be called the Inari Sanza in the case of three or the Inari Gozu in the case of five. All of the, the Inari deities who are worshipped together in the group are also individual deities. Hmm. Mostly food or agriculture deities, but Izanagi and Izanami are sometimes also considered Inari deities uh, who are creation god and goddess. So like, there's a lot going on with Inari and Inari Sounds worship. Like <laughs> so there is a widespread folk belief that Inari is a fox, because foxes are sacred to Inari. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the sort of standardized things that's true across Japan. And at every Inari shrine, you'll find a statue of at least one fox, usually two foxes. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be a male and a female fox. They come in pairs. Kitsune, which are shape-shifting magical fox creatures, are sacred to Inari and are supposed to be mess messengers of Inari. I remember uh, Kitsune from Teen Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Kitsune, a very popular mm -hmm. mythological figure. Um, but they're, they're supposed to be sort of the servants and messengers right. of Inari. Right. Like I said, there's a widespread folk belief that Inari's sort of true form is as a fox, but this is very discouraged by the priesthood. 
Understandable. Uh-huh. Um, because that sort of implies that maybe Inari is an ascended kitsune. Okay, so like maybe a, just a shapeshifter? Maybe, was... because Inari also in a lot of stories shows up in different shapes. Like will be a snake or a dragon. In one story turns into a giant spider to, to punish a guy. Sounds like they are a shapeshifter. Yeah, so like Inari changes shape. This would also connect really easily to the fact that Inari's gender is in question. Right. So it seems like like there maybe is... an. <laughs> Maybe it's different schools of thought. It is. It definitely is. Because, like I said, originally Inari was a Shinto deity. Right. Then Buddhism came in and sort of co-opted yeah. Inari. Then there was a move to separate Buddhism and Shintoism again, but it was too late and they couldn't really be separated. And so, like, Buddhist temples were saying, oh, no, no, we've actually been worshipping this Buddhist deity this whole time. People just think it's Inari. And Shinto temples were saying, no, no, it's been Inari the whole time. We just adopted this name from Buddhism. It's a whole mess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Which is not unusual. Yeah. But because of the sort of murky history of how Inari worship came about, I do wonder if, like, there's an underlying aspect of Kitsune as Mm. mythological beings were a popular folkloric figure. Mm. They had a lot of these features. And I wonder if sort of that mythological being, one of them just got pushed up the ranks and and became Inari. That's a a really good... A really good thought. Yeah. So that's that's my unlearned theory about that. But so there are shrines to Inari Okami all over Japan. Just absolutely chock-a-block full of them. Uh, anytime you see a fox statue, that's probably there's a shrine to Inari nearby. Inari. And you can leave offerings mostly of food because Inari is predominantly a, a food, specifically a rice mm. deity. In fact, the kanji, the characters for the word Inari mean something like carrying rice. Mm. So you can leave rice, you can leave sake, which is rice wine. Um, you can leave other kinds of food. There's a particular kind of fried tofu sushi roll called Inari Zushi, mm. which is usually um, left as an offering at Inari shrines. The priests, this is another thing that priests don't like because it's not traditional. But there's like a belief in Japan that foxes really like fried tofu. <laughs> so they'll get Inari Zushi because it's a f- tofu sushi thing. Gotcha. Um, and it's got like little pointed corners that look like fox ears. Gotcha. So yeah, you so you can leave those offerings for Inari. Part of the reason that Inari's like sphere of influence has shifted to just being prosperity and wishes mm-hmm. is probably because rice used to be in ancient Japan the the form of wealth, mm-hmm. right? So like right. you were paid in rice. Rice was a measurement of like you, of how much wealth you had and how much prosperity you had. That makes sense. So when everything transitioned to money, Inari's power just transitioned to from, well, I already had rice, which was not just food. It was also wealth and power. So Mm. now I just have monetary wealth and power as well. So that probably contributed to extending Inari's powers. And then at a certain point, Inari became associated with merchants and swordsmiths and blacksmiths and warriors. And then daimyos were bringing Inari worship with them as they were conquering new territories. And that's probably how it spread across Japan. Okay. Anyway, Inari is a very interesting figure. Mm -hmm. Lots of question marks because the personalization aspect and because there's some uncertainty about where Inari comes from exactly Mm -hmm. and how Inari fits into the rest of the Japanese mythology and pantheon. I like that they're still worshipped, though. Yes, still actively worshipped in Japan. That's very cool. Yep. 
In fact, there have been a couple of temples burned down and rebuilt, and there was one particular temple that was originally dedicated to Inari Sansa, so a three-form Inari, okay. that was rebuilt to, after it burned down, to Inari Gozu, so the five-form of Inari. Okay. So, like, even in the same place, it just shifts. shifts. And, and Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, like, Inari itself is a shapeshifter. Inari's worship is shapeshifting. Very interesting, flexible form of deity worship. Mm-hmm. Cool. Elle says, the patriarchy makes Inari a man. Inari, a shapeshifter. Oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Inari doesn't care. Inari can be whatever. Exactly. Thanks to our Tiger Solanox for introducing us to Weavers of the Web, an interfaith pagan ATC, Aquarian Tabernacle Church, organization based in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family-friendly, supportive, and informative, with the goal of ensuring that no one ever need be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for their down payment on a property, which would allow them to expand their current network of resources, including dedicated community space, a permanent home for a pagans-in-need pantry, and a lending library. Join them online or in person for regular events, including rituals and discussion groups at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash weaversatc. Hail Dictinus! Hail Dictinus! Next God! Okay, so keeping in the Hittite family, uh-huh. keeping it all in the family, I'm going to talk about Tarhuna's consort, Arina, the sun goddess. And what's interesting is, is that Arina is the consort of Tarhuna, and Mm -hmm. Tarhuna is the consort of Arina. So they're actually equal as far as... So they're just married. They're just basically married. But she um, was basically considered the queen of all lands uh, and chief goddess, just as he was considered the chief god. Okay, so like wolves. Yeah, essentially. So I thought that was kind of cool that the, he wasn't like, like, you know, in the in the Greek pantheon, uh, Zeus was like top dog, top dog. And in this case, it sounds like they're kind of equal. And so she protected the Hittite kingdom and was called the queen of all lands. And her cult center was the sacred city of Arena. Like you do. Like you do. They named it after her. Interestingly, in addition to the sun goddess Arina of Arina, they also um, worship the sun goddess of the earth and the sun god of heaven. And um, so I think it's, she's actually... So she's a sun god, not the sun god? Kind of like sun goddess. Yeah. She's like one of, of many. Okay. It's almost like she's like the goddess of that city, Arina. So mm-hmm. they gave her the name Arina as a sun goddess, but yet... She's also the goddess of that city. It's interesting. Well, I mean, lots of cities, I mean, Greece did this all the time where they had a patron deity. Yeah, yeah. She... But I think I'm not understanding. Were there other sun deities? Yes. Okay. Yes. There there was the sun goddess of the earth and the sun goddess of the heaven. Okay. So they were different sun goddesses. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And she was sun goddess of Arena. Okay. But she was not the sun goddess of the earth or of the heaven. Apparently not. Okay. So she was just the sun goddess of Arena. I believe so. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Again, they formed the highest position in the Hittite state's pantheon. They had a daughter named Bazula. Um, I like that name. Yeah, Bazula. Isn't that a great name? And they had a granddaughter, Zintuj. And then, of course, they had these other 
uh, children. They like, had, like the gods tend to. They tend to. There was a weather god of Narek and the weather god of Zipalanda and the corn god Talipanu. And uh, the eagle was her messenger. Hmm. So, you know, she would send out messages that would be, if you saw an eagle, that then was it was Arena. What what I'm seeming to get is that instead of having like a, a deity of the sun, mm-hmm. they like, they had all these different deities of different things. You know what I'm saying? So like they had this. So they had regional deities. Yeah. They, I think they had regional deities. Okay. Exactly. So Tarhuna probably wasn't the weather god of all Hittites. He was probably the weather god of the same area Arina was from. Probably. Okay. Chances are. She, and surprisingly, she has actually, even though she's supposed to be this chief goddess, she has very little mythology about her. And not always the way. Yeah. And um, basically there's a fragment about her. And it says, an apple tree stands at a well and is covered all over with a blood red color. The sun goddess of Arena saw it and she decorated it with her shining wand. That's hmm. that's one of the few. Uh, she decorates an apple tree. Mm-hmm. So with, with, with light, red, I assume? With, yeah. It makes the apples red. Maybe. You know. Um, but it's interesting because that's one of the few surviving. Fragments. Fragments of mythology about her. And apparently she doesn't really. Show up. Show up in a lot of these others. Well, I guess if you're interested in Arena, offer her some apples. Yeah, that would make (laughs) sense. That would make sense. Apples might be sacred to her. Or associated with her in some way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think part of it was is that there were more... It seems like the Hittites were not like one entire empire. So at least from basic... From their their mythology, they were maybe city-states. Even though they, you know, they had the... I don't know enough about the Hittites to dispute that. Yeah, I don't know either. It's just, it's interesting to me that their their sun gods and their sun goddesses seemed to be... Regional. Regional, yeah. yeah. And they didn't have like an overall overarching deity structure right. like so many other places at least, did. At least not at this point in their history. Yep, yep. Because exactly. I think there was a Hittite empire. Yes, there was. Yeah. And they did a lot of defeating of people. Yeah. So yeah. they must have, I mean... They must have unified at some point. Mm-hmm. Maybe not when their gods were being being written about them. Yeah, yeah. There are a couple of epithets during the Hittite Middle Kingdom that distinguish the sun goddess from the sun god of heaven. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was adopted by the Hurrians. Uh, in the Hittite New Kingdom, she was identified with the Hurrian Syrian goddess Hepat. And the Hittite queen mentioned her in her prayers using both the names of these deities. So I thought this was interesting too. It said, Sun goddess of Arena, my lady, queen of all lands, in the land of Hati, you ordained your name to be sun goddess of Arena, but also in the land which you have made, the land of Cedar, you ordained your name to be Hepat. So I think, I feel like so there's, there's a, a syncretizing. Maybe yeah, I think happening. there's a lot of syncretization that happened in the, in this, in this period, in this period and with these deities. But anyway, I thought they were interesting. I guess I'm not sure, like, is Inara also a regional deity, or was she... She seemed to be the goddess of the wild animals. Just across all the Hittites? Yeah, and one of one of Tarhuna, who also was known as Toshub and Tarhunt, was so his I wonder, daughter. So I wonder if these were all originally regional deities who got, like, smooshed together when the empire it's possible. formed. It's possible. And then they just all had these various names. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. 
That is interesting. I wish but I knew I more about the Hittites. Yeah. And it doesn't seem, though, it seems like Inara is the, she is the daughter of Tarhuna, but not apparently the daughter of Arina. Interesting. Yeah. Even though they were consorts. Does it say who her mother is? I didn't see that. Weird. I wonder if her mother is supposed to have been one of the other regional Could be. sun goddesses. Could be. Because then Arina is also called the queen of all. All lands. And so that would make me think that she was the sun goddess of the earth. Mm-hmm. But it says she's not. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. <laughs> I have a feeling, I haven't looked into this, but I would guess from the way you're describing it that like maybe we just, like we have a lot of fragments from Hittite mythology, mm-hmm. but we don't have like... A lot. A book. <laughs> well, part of it probably is I didn't, I just did a cursory study mm-hmm. or just a, a basic, you know, let me find a couple of gods. Right. Uh, type of look. So there's probably more complex information available. I think I'm going to, I'm going to look into it though. Cause I think I've never really been interested in the Mesopotamian deities. That area. You know, that area, the, the Hittite deities. But honestly, they sound like they were kind of interesting. Certainly Inara sounds like she was... My God, yes. ...up to some shit. Inara was up to some shit. But no, I, I think it's interesting that these deities, they had so many sun gods and sun goddesses and that kind of thing. You know, they had multiple of the same type of yeah, deities. Yeah, and I mean, you like, that happens in other pantheons, but they're usually not, like, as strongly regionalized as mm-hmm. this sounds like it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Very... Like I said, I wish I knew more about the Hittites. Well, maybe if we do another uh, one of these, which I'm sure we will, I will do a deeper study into the Hittite. <laughs> Perhaps we will return. Mythology, and I will return with different deities and more insight and can, into how the Hittites work. Hittite mythology at that, as, we, as much as we are aware of it. Right. Because that's the other thing is I'm sure a lot has been lost. Mm-hmm. We come across that yeah, all the time. Yeah, because it's not like the Hittites are around to tell us. No. They were ultimately, at some point, defeated. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more god as well. I have Ash, who is an ancient Egyptian deity. Sometimes also called Shah, but Ash seems to be the usual way it's... Yeah. That doesn't sound like an Egyptian name. No, and that's actually an important point. Okay. So they think that Ash, because it doesn't sound like an Egyptian name, because they have not been able to trace any kind of Egyptian mythology to the name Ash, they think it actually is possibly an imported deity from the area of Libya. Oh. So there's a city called, it was originally called Nebut, and then it was called Ambos. Ash is called sometimes He of Nebut. So it sounds like Ash was a regional deity, like a city deity of Nebut, maybe, mm-hmm. um, who got like like subsumed into the Egyptian pantheon at some stage mm-hmm. from Maybe Libyan mythology is the theory, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of evidence of Ash existing in Libyan mythology either. Hmm. Yeah. So... Maybe got lost? Maybe. Um, there's another theory that Ash is maybe an alternate form of Set. Oh. So Ash is the deity of oases and a specific region, the vineyards in a specific area, hmm. um, sort of in, on the West Nile. Um, but is predominantly associated with oases, and through that area of influence is associated with Set, because Set is the, originally the god of the desert. Right. Right. Um, and he, 
Set gains all these other chaos-related functions later. Um, but originally, Set is just a god of the desert. And so Ash is thought to have some connection to Set through the desert as the god of oases because they would have been closely right. associated. Right. Um, some, uh, there's like one reference to Ash as being the beloved of Set. But then it seems like later, Set sort of overtakes Ash in, in prominence. Hmm. Um, Ash doesn't show up at all in Set's mythology, because Set actually has pretty extensive mythology. Ash yeah. really doesn't hmm. have a mythology. Um, maybe because oases are so hard to find. Maybe. Ash is mentioned a couple of times on wine jars, because he was associated with these vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll say, like, thanks for this refreshment from Ash <laughs> uh, on, <laughs> on the wine jar. Okay. Yeah. And then Ash also has... So this is another possible connection to Set. Ash is one of the anthropomorphic deities who has an animal head, right? A human mm-hmm. body and an animal mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. His head can be a lot of different desert animals. It could be a vulture, a hawk, a snake, uh, on one occasion a lion. But it can also be the set animal. So the set animal <laughs> is uh, an unidentified, possibly canid creature okay. that is associated with set. Right. Um, it's the animal that Set's head comes right. from, is the Set animal. Um, but we don't know what that animal was. I'm not going to see a picture. Yeah. So it sort of looks like some kind of dog, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes described as a jackal, but it doesn't look yeah. it doesn't look like the hieroglyphics of that we know are jackals because jackals are associated with Anubis. So we know right, that the right, right. we know that the Anubis figure has a jackal head and that those are jackal oh, features. Yeah. But the Set animal has a different set of features. It has a very strange, like, rectangularized, triangular ears. It's got this long, sort of down-curved snout. It's got a tail that always sits up and has, like, a forked end or a tuft at the end. It looks a little bit like uh, an aardvark. It looks a little like an aardvark. It's been theorized that maybe it's some kind of stylized donkey, uh, maybe some kind of wild pig. Maybe, it may like, there's some theories that maybe it's, an, an imaginary animal that it's a, like a mythological creature yeah. or that maybe it was a animal that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a desert animal that has gone extinct since ancient Egypt. And that's entirely possible. Yeah. So there's, we, there is no academic consensus on what the set animal is. It's just a creature that the ancient Egyptians associated with set, hmm. but it's also associated with ash. Because Ash can have the head of a set animal. Ash is also one of the only Egyptian deities who's ever shown with multiple heads. Hmm. So sometimes Ash is shown with up to three heads. So, like I said, very unclear where Ash came from, what Ash's function really was, if Ash was an original... Because Ash does seem to have an older baseline than Mm -hmm. set does like ash shows up before set does but set has so much more prominence in the mythology and in the recovered artifacts of ancient egypt yeah so so one thing that's wonderful about egypt is we do have right it's been extensively studied yeah um admittedly often by westerners who didn't know what the fuck they were talking about but um but we have those it has, images. Exactly. And it has improved since mm-hmm. then. The The study of ancient Egypt has improved exactly. since then. Um, so yeah, at, like I said, Ash, they don't know exactly where where Ash comes from, except they think maybe the Libya area. Hmm. Um, because 
Nebut and Ambus, the Nebut that became Ambus, the city that um, that Ash is associated with, mm-hmm. later becomes a center of Set worship. Oh, okay. So that's another connection to Set and Ash. So like maybe Ash was an older form of Set that was more benevolent because Ash was associated specifically with the oases and with the vineyards, with the fruits of the desert. You know, with these, with these. It was a benign god, and Set is considered a malevolent deity. So. We don't know. <laughs> like, what were Ash and Set contemporaries at some stage? Were they opposites? Were they, were they opposed? But, but then, in that case, why is Ash called the beloved of Set? Well, opposites right? attract. Right? Is, is Ash just... It, it, there's some theories, theories that, like, maybe Ash was supposed to be Set's son? Hmm. Or, or child? Some theories that maybe Set was... Ash, Ash and Set were lovers. Because Set is known to have homosexual associations mm-hmm. in Set's mythology. There's mm-hmm. the whole thing with Horace. Just a lot of question marks about exactly who Ash was, where exactly Ash came from, what happened to Ash. Because like I said, we don't actually have mythology about Ash. He doesn't show up in set stories. Interesting. He really, the predominant references we have to him are as being from Nebut mm-hmm. and associated with oases and vineyards and his name is on wine jars. That's it. That's pretty much oh. all we got. But somehow associated with Set. But somehow associated with Set, Probably yeah. because of the des- the desert yeah. oasis connection. Yep. And, but so strongly associated with Set that he has the same mm-hmm. Set animal head sometimes. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Very, very odd. So that's, I mean, that's all I have about Ash. That's all I could find anywhere about Ash. Hmm. Um, and the only people I can find in the modern day, like in the pagan sphere, who mm-hmm. are even interested in Ash are Set worshippers who are trying to figure out what their relationship should be to Ash. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That makes sense. L says Set ate Ash. Um, and that's a possibility. Like, maybe Set, like, basically subsumed and replaced Ash as a desert god. Maybe there was a, a transition where the Egyptian conception of the desert went from the benevolence of Ash to the malevolence of Set. Yeah, yeah. That's entirely possible. Because so. the desert does expand. Exactly. And takes um, over a lot of stuff. And it's it's a very dangerous environment. It so is. maybe once Egypt was more settled and it was no longer living, you know, purely in the oases, maybe the desert became a a more hostile could be LOL, there's some connection with set and eating stuff to be fair. Yeah, that could that doesn't necessarily discount the lover's prospect. <laughs> Just a little erotic cannibalism for set. Well, you know. <laughs> All you have to do is look at some of the the, the reliefs and the art uh-huh. of Egypt. They were, you know... There was some shit going on. There was some shit going on. Um, certainly in the mythology, there was some shit going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, never going to get over Osiris. <laughs> oh, Osiris. Kinky, says Rhiannon. Kinky. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I, I remember... Very when, ancient Egypt. Ancient much kinkier Egypt than you think it is. Much kinkier. I, I remember watching a television program one time going, the sex of Egypt, of ancient Egypt. They were wild. And people did not know... How, people have no idea <laughs> how many phallic symbols are all <laughs> over the damn place. So many. In the ancient uh, temples and yeah. the... The yeah. Boz reliefs and yeah. all this stuff. And let out. me tell you. They're everywhere. Let me tell you. They were using those dildos. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know. They were not just ceremonial. <laughs> no, they were not. So I, I think people, you know, because people had such a romantic notion about Egypt mm-hmm. uh, from, 
from the, 19, the Victorians yeah, the, did. from the Victorians yeah. understanding of, of Egypt and Egyptology. We're so repressed. Yeah. So when you when you actually see some of these very yeah. graphic <laughs> depictions mm-hmm. uh, in of ancient Egyptian gods yeah. and, and things and it's you're just like, whoa. Mm. Whoa. They were people, not ashamed of it. <laughs> they were not ashamed. They had a very open understanding about sex. Yep. Just saying. Yep. They really did. Yep. So it wouldn't surprise me nope. if Seth and uh, Ash had a kinky relationship. Uh-huh. That ended in maybe death. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who could say? Like I said, we. I wish, because Seth is so present in the mythology. Mm-hmm. Seth shows up all the time doing shit. Seth is the Loki of Egyptian mythology mm-hmm. in the sense that he is constantly around. Mm-hmm. There is always sort of the presence of Seth in the back of a story. And yet... Ash yeah. doesn't show up in any of this, despite his very clear, strong, in fact, it's like most of his existence is associations to set. Yeah. On Rhiannon says, out of every pantheon I know, pagans, I know pagans in. The comedics do sex magic the most. It does well, not surprise y- me. Hell yeah. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Of course they do. Absolutely. It's essential to the religion. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you have to at least be chill with you sex to be, to be a comedic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, that that documentary was eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. So that's all I have about Ash. Like I said, I wish I had more about Ash, but that's all there seems to be about Ash un- yeah. until some new discovery is made. So uh, I think that was it. That's it. Okay. So you can find us on Google. If you Google the number three, and the words pagans and a cat or the number three and the letters P-A-A-C. You can also find us online at the number three pagans and a cat dot com where you can find links to all the things we do, including our Patreon where you can help support us and Gwyn's blog where yes. she is writing again. I'm writing again. If you want to learn about blueberry, lemon and uh, the end of summer, go check out my blog post. And then go make the muffins because they're very good. <laughs> <laughs> we have those muffins. Yes. I recommend them. Oh, we have a Facebook group and a discord (laughs) server that you can join if you want to hang out with us you can find me on tiktok yep you can find gwen on tiktok you can't find me on anything nope except rhiannon who has my ao3 username (laughs) and don't forget if you want any kind of tarot readings from us please reach out to us at our emails is gwen at three pagans at a cat.com ode at three pagans at a cat.com we will not reach out to you ever ever you have except on the discord server You have to contact us yes. if you are interested in a reading. Yes. So. And if you get a message from Ode at any social media, that ain't me. Right. Same with Gwen. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be contacting you about stuff. I'm not going to be on the app that is formerly Twitter. You're mm. not going to get a message from me on Facebook. You're not, I mean, I'm, cert- I'm not even on Instagram. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Don't get, don't get scammed. Don't get scammed. All right. All right. That's Goodbye. <laughs> Adios, muchachas. Go learn about Hittites, Egyptians, mm-hmm. and uh, Japanese deities. Yeah. And go to a Pagan Pride event. Yes. Go to, if you have, have fun. one in your area, go have fun. Mm-hmm. We have been to some in the past and have had a great time. So, highly recommend. Yes. Okay. Goodbye.